We are AAALC and we welcome everyone to our conversation. This will be a relaxed and open dialogue to give others a small window into how we feel and think. Today, our topic is food deserts and uh, food insecurities. We have a special guest, Christy Duncan Anderson. Uh, she will be providing the the content that many of us in the podcast uh, we've never really talked about in depth, and I, I think this would be a great topic for the for the team. Um, though those of us joining today are uh, Paul Bancroft Turner, another three name uh, person we got on our team. Only famous people get those. Uh, Remar Christie, um, Sharon Hall, and Alyssa Geddes. Uh, thank you guys for joining. Um, Christy, would you like to uh, introduce yourself? Thank you, and thank you so much for having me here. I'm I'm super honored to be on this podcast. Um, yes, I have three last names, Christy, Duncan, and Anderson, and all of that is my husband's fault. My maiden name is Blyther. Um, he, it's a long story that has to do with some castle in Scotland. Um, and um, I'll tell that story. Well, that, that's a whole podcast in of itself. <laughs> You royalty? What's up? Uh, not quite. <laughs> but oh. they're trying to hold on to that castle, and um, it didn't work. But they kept the Duncan. It was, it's 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 actually a quite a quite a fun story. But I'll I'll save that for another day. Um, I am the um, president and the executive director of the Albertsons Companies Foundation, which is I'm sorry to say to the rest of you the best job in the company. I love my job. I love what we get to do. I love working for a company that cares so much and i get to see it on the front like front row seats to how much our company cares and how much our company does for our communities and for our associates so i'm so so glad to be here today and glad to be uh, an employee of this great company um, my background is a little bit varied um, I um, have done everything from um, being in the peace corps in bangladesh to um, living the life of a starving artist in New York City, to um, working and um, passing out AIDS medications in Southern Africa, to working with human trafficking in Southeast Asia. And um, I've been with uh, Safeway Albertsons now for uh, 15 years. I can't believe it has been that long, <laughs> except that I have a 13, almost 14-year-old daughter, and that explains a bit of it. I also have an 11-year-old son that I don't want to forget to mention because he'd be very upset when he listens to this if I don't mention him. Um, <laughs> but um, I've seen a ton of changes uh, in the 15 years, and I have never been as excited about the direction of our company as I am right now, and about the heart-led leadership that we have right now in our leadership, and um, I'm I'm just so excited to to be a, a part of a part of all of this. Oh, that's awesome! Thank you for that. Um, it's amazing of your your career. Wow! I mean, each one made me just like go, what? That's amazing. <laughs> Lots and lots Paul. of stories to tell. <laughs> yeah, so I, I actually wanted to ask a question, but I wanted to change it to the starving artist in New York City because I think that sounds <laughs> fascinating. But we won't we won't go down that road. So what I, the first question I really want to ask you is that for everybody out there that's listening, what what exactly are the food insecurities and what does that mean and what does that look like? Yeah, so food insecurity, and thank you for asking. I, I should back up a little bit and talk a bit about what the foundation does um, to those of you who may not know. We have three main programs um, 
One is called Nourishing Neighbors, and that one is what we're talking about here today, which is um, a program that specifically aims at eradicating hunger in our neighborhoods in, um, in a lot of different ways, and we'll, we'll talk about that in depth. Um, the second program is really um, very localized support to organizations that our local communities care about. Um, so in Seattle, we do something different than we do in, in, in Boston, for example. And then the third is maybe one of my favorite programs, which is called We Care. Um, and I'm just going to take a minute, excuse this commercial break for a moment, but I want to I want to make sure all of our associates know about this program because it's so great. Um, we Care is a program that actually helps our fellow associates in times of need. Um, it's a program where any associate can um, apply for funds. Um, usually it's between one and $3,000 for a natural disaster. It can be more, but um, there's a there's an application online. Um, if you just Google We Care Versaic, um, you'll find it, or We Care Albertsons, you'll find it. And it's an application that any associate can, can submit and then receive funds when there's a hardship in their lives. And there have been some just heartwarming stories about how we've been able to help people after earthquakes, after um, you know, cancer diagnoses and other things. So I just forgive that commercial break, but I really want to make sure that I get that out there to every audience I ever talk to. Um, but going back to your to your question on um, food insecurity, food insecurity is something we talk about uh, a lot. And um, food insecurity is actually defined specifically by the USDA. And food insecurity is not having enough nutrition. I wish they called it nutrition insecurity. Not having enough nutrition to live a healthy life. And so um, while, you know, as, as I just mentioned, I've lived in Bangladesh, I've lived in India, I've lived in, there are a lot of countries and places, Southern Africa, Zambia, Zimbabwe, uh, all those places you see a very abject poverty and you see um, hunger in ways that we don't see here in the US. Um, we're, not, we're not talking about not having enough uh, food, filler food, we're talking about not having the nutrition that they need. Um, and so we're working a lot about, um, you know, with with a lot of different local organizations to um, to help and move people um, out of the cycle of food insecurity. So food insecurity, there are five drivers of food insecurity that have been identified um, by um, Feeding America just commissioned a study that's just recently out about those drivers. Um, and they are disability, homeownership, median income, poverty, and unemployment. Those are the five drivers of food insecurity. And it makes a lot of sense. If you have a low income, you're more likely to be food insecure. If you don't own your own home, you're more likely to be food insecure because you don't have that kind of, that, that cushion um, that is needed. And so these are the five drivers of food insecurity that um, we look at and that we try to think about how we can influence those drivers in order to make sure that our neighbors have the food they need to live and thrive. So are there are those normally in, in particular areas like uh, urban areas? Would we see that more in urban areas or is it a mix between urban and rural or uh, maybe re reservations? It, yes, um, absolutely. It's it's a mix, and um, it, it is a bit of a a, a legend that um, that these drivers uh, that that food insecurity is only in urban areas. There are many many rural areas that have um, a high incidence rate of food insecurity. Um, if you look at these five drivers again, they are disability, home ownership, median income, poverty, and unemployment. 
If you look at those five drivers, you will see that they are um, often concentrated and quite frankly, inequitable um, and, 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 can, and can show a vast um, inequality amongst, um, amongst people and, and can drive that, that food insecurity. So if you're looking at, for example, um, disability, um, disability has been uh, identified as a huge risk factor for food insecurity. And um, for example, the, the disability rates between, say, black individuals and white individuals is equivalent, but the difference across race and ethnicity becomes more evident by the 17% disability rate among Native Americans and individuals compared to the 7% among Asian individuals and 9% among Latinos. So that for your question about it being more in reservations, there are more people with disabilities on a reservation and that being a driver of food insecurity then drives up uh, additional um, uh, people who are food insecure. Do we have some of, some of our programs reaching out to, to specific uh, areas? We do, um, like we do. We work on our, we work on our programs and and by the way, just so that you know, when we raise funds at our stores to support this, all of those funds are kept in the area where we have those stores. So if you raise money in a specific area, it goes right back to that local area. And then what we do is we look at that local area, we look at these drivers, and we try to find out what drivers are, are pushing this area's food insecurity issues, and then we work on those drivers. For example, um, Homeownership. Homeownership is a good proxy for um, food insecurity. And if you think about it, you know, if you own your home, it can insulate you a little bit between some of the economic shocks. Um, but if you look at um, the um, areas that have high homeownership, and if you if we have a store in an area where it has high ownership, or if we have a store in an area that has low home ownership, we may want to look at that as a driver to food insecurity. And then the programs and the work that we do is a little bit different in that area than it is in in other areas. Well, I would think that if you're in a richer area, you're going to get more support. And if you're in a poor area, you get less. Is, is there something we do concerning that? I mean, what it's it's like taxes, right? Where you live. You're, it is. It is a little bit like taxes. Yes. And, and we, we identify it more on the on the um, on the division level and on the district level than we do on the um, store level, if that makes sense. So if a if a district covers maybe um, uh, the easiest areas in, in the, the Bay Area, it's fairly easy to explain. If the, if the district covers um, all of, say, Alameda County, um, Alameda County has a very large disparity in, um, in home ownership and wealth between different cities, um, but all of the funds that are, are, are collected there go to the area where it's needed most. So yes, we may be able to raise a little bit more money in some areas, but we're keeping it local um, within, the, within the district. So we're not keeping it local within the store, we're keeping it local usually within the district or division level. You mentioned that uh, there are food drives that may take place in the store and or some initiatives locally and that all of those funds raised stay locally who who decides there's a need and we need to act in this community and drive something great question you know we we try to do it all the time 
everywhere. <laughs> um, we don't do as many food drives. Um, we do more um, campaigns on our pin pad where we're asking to give um, to give funds, mostly because the the well food pantries are thankful for. Um, food that is given in a drive there's a, there's actually a lot of work that goes into that we commissioned a study a while ago and i might get the numbers wrong so don't you know go off quoting me on this anybody's listening to this but um you know a can of food put into a food drive actually costs the um the organization something like three times the um, cost of the actual can of food because they have to transport it to their site. They have to then sort it. They have to have volunteers. They have to have a volunteer program, somebody to oversee the volunteer program. They have to sort the can. Then they have to get all the cans in the right place. Then they have to get it to another place and then they have to put it on a shelf and they have to have, you know, there's some overhead costs associated with that. So it's actually very costly. Most of the food drives um, live not in the operations department of food banks and food pantries. Most of them actually live in the marketing department because the value of that to the food bank or food pantry is the um, is the name association and having their name somewhere where everybody goes like a grocery store. Um, so we do very few of those. What we do like to do, they do like money though. So we raise lots of money um, and who doesn't, right? <laughs> we raise lots of money. Those um, are done, um, uh, through and in divisions, we have two campaigns a year that we do on a national basis, uh, almost national basis. Um, United is uh, the United Division has a different schedule, um, but the rest of the company participates in May and September. In fact, coming up soon in September is a big campaign that we do across all of our stores, um, and that one actually is specifically uh, targeted to help sure ensure that all kids have access to breakfast every day. Um, we have found that breakfast is, you know, an indicate. We all know eating breakfast is a good thing, right? I don't, I don't always follow my own advice on that. <laughs> eating a nice, healthy breakfast, but we all know that that's a great way to start off the day. We also know that um, I think it was um, um, there was a study that came out that said that you know kids who have breakfast um, did 17% better on tests and had better attendance and other things. So it's it's really a, a, a helpful to um, academic performance as well for kids. And so in September, we raise money. And this is a great example of how we how we make sure that it's um, kept locally. We um, we uh, get a ton of applications from organizations all across the company. And then we work with each and every division and some cases every store to, and that we, we connect each and every one of our stores with an organization that is in their neighborhood that is working to ensure that kids in that neighborhood have access to breakfast. And then the money raised in that store goes to that organization. So they select the organization that it goes to. And then the money goes and, and makes sure that kids have access to breakfast every day. And it's a very um, successful program. Just last year, we had um, 350 breakfasts we were able to enable um, for kids. 350 million. That, that's, I mean, if you think about like the millions and millions of of breakfast that that can be it could stretch from here to the moon or something right that's a lot of mm -hmm. that's a lot of breakfast that um, that that we're able to enable through through our program and so we do that program and then in may we have another program and that one is to help with summer meals um so when kids are out of school a lot of kids get free or reduced priced lunches or breakfasts in schools and then when the summer vacation hits that just because it's summer vacation doesn't mean they're not hungry at lunchtime, right? So we fund a lot of um, 
of programs that can that can that can help kids eat. And then there's also a portion of that that actually goes to supporting um, access to federal programs like um, food stamps, SNAP, CalFresh in California, um, that that help families um, get those resources so that they can feed their their families what they want. Not necessarily the the that can of food that you put in the bin um, that gets sorted and then gets put in somebody's car, but it actually gives the families the dignity of choice to go to the store, use their EBT card, and and select um, the food that that works for their family. Uh, oh you God. just talked about. Um like summer programs to feed kids when they're not in school. So how has COVID-19 and the pandemic affected um, that whole program? Because I know that kids were out of school for way longer than usual and they're lower income kids who depend on going to school to get certain meals. So how has all that been affected? How has the pandemic affected all that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was a big, it was a big problem uh, during the pandemic, and it still remains a problem. And there are some good things that have come out of it, and there have been some, some, some hiccups. Now, um, last year, I don't know if you all know, but we actually received fifty million dollars from the company to help our neighbors eat. The company gave $50 million to the foundation to give out to make sure that people had access to food during the, the pandemic. And it was, um, it was hectic. I, uh, you know, during the pandemic, we had checks, you know, coming out. There was about, the, the post office actually gave me a box and said, please, can you not put these in your mailbox anymore? Please, can you put this in this box? Because you have so many checks that are going out to, um, to so many different organizations. Um, so we worked, we worked with a lot of organizations to help them um, stand up COVID-related um, and COVID-friendly distributions. We um, worked with um, we worked with schools um, to um, to make sure that they had um, food available for for those kids who usually were part of their backpack program or um, part of their free and reduced price lunch program. We um, one of my favorite programs actually. We worked with a, a school, I believe it was in Texas, and they um, they had a school bus that they retrofitted to be a food pantry and and served hot food to the the kids it went out had hot food for the kids breakfast and lunch and it, it had a few different stops but it also we um fitted it with wi-fi capability so that the kids could actually and we had a bunch of laptops in there too so the kids could actually do that that was it was such a great great program that we were able to do and we did a lot of work connecting people to federal programs because um there was some great um, legislation passed to that increased the, um, it was called PEBT, um, pandemic EBT that actually increased the amount of money that people had available to them to use, um, in this, in our stores or other stores, um, to purchase, you know, whatever, again, with that dignity of choice, what they needed for their families. And, um, I'm happy to say that a lot of these things that, um, became a necessity and we needed to, um, a lot of, um, um, programs that kind of people needed to have are programs that are continuing. For example, in California now, all of Californian school kids have access to um, free breakfast and lunch every day. It's no longer, uh, there's no longer, it's community eligibility is what it's called. So you no longer have to fill out an application to receive it, which can be a big um, hurdle for some families to do. You know, fill an application, maybe you're worried about, you know, 
you know, do I really want to share my income status with the school? Do I really want to, you know, there may be some immigration status things, et cetera. So um, to not have to fill out that application, to not have to turn in all that paperwork and to just let the kids eat. And I mean, we supply, you know, paper and notebooks and glue and scissors to kids who need it. Why not supply them? One of the most important ingredients for success in school it's food, right? It's breakfast. It's and lunch. I, so. I think that the biggest factor to to not filling out the form is just the kids not bringing it home. So yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. one of those. Alyssa, you had a question? Oh, oh, before Alyssa's question, E.T., would you say that the pandemic has brought more awareness to food insecurity and food, the struggles that people have around having quality, nutritious food? I think it absolutely has. I think those images, I think I think it's a double-sided coin though. I think those images of, um, you know, the long lines of people waiting for food banks and food pantries to put boxes in their car um, have really opened people's eyes. I really hope that that awareness continues because it needs to continue. We need to continue. Hunger is solvable, right? Hunger is solvable. It's a solvable problem. This food insecurity, there is no, we have enough food. We grow enough food. There's, it's, it's a, it's a solvable problem. Um, but, but that awareness has to be there. Absolutely. Um, the other side of the coin though, is some of the, you know, um, and I think, I think there was also the, the recognition that, oh, it's not over there. Often people say, if you ask people, is there hunger in America? They'll say, oh yeah, yeah, there is. Is there hunger in your, no, there's no hunger here. It's over there, but it can't possibly always be over there, right? It has to be here too. And it's a hidden, and I think it was, it was, there was, there was a general understanding that, gosh, some of my neighbors might be hungry and gosh, it's not that far for any of us to think about how we, we too could be in that long line waiting for, waiting for food. um, I do think on the, on the flip side of the coin, um, the emergency food distribution system is great but not, um, it's not changing any of those five drivers that we talked about earlier, right? Like we are, we are, um, there's a, there's a, I'm going to tell you a terrible story. Are you ready? <laughs> there's, it's terrible. It's awful. Okay. But it, it's a, it's a not, it's not my story. It's a, um, it's, it's just a story that is used in, in development all the time. And it's, you know, you and I are walking down the, the path, a path, and we come to a river and there's babies in the river. What do you do? Do you start pulling the babies out of the river? Well, that feels good. It feels really good, right? You're pulling babies out of the river and it feels so good. Um, but the babies are continuing to come down the river, right? So at some point, you need to go up and stop the ogre from throwing the babies in the river, right? And then I would advocate you need to go even further and go to the um, go to the town or village or whatever's nearby and get the town to make it uncool for ogres to be throwing babies in the river in the first place. So if you're continuously, the emergency food system is is great and absolutely necessary, and we are glad that they that we do it. That pulling the babies out of the river, it feels good. You're pulling them out. You save this one. You save this one. You save this one. It's great. But you're going to continue having babies in the river until you go upstream and stop that ogre and start worrying, working on these drivers of food insecurity and the underlying um, issues that are underneath that, too. Christy, I don't know if you're reading my mind or something, but (laughs) you certainly are ahead of me. Um, So along with your... um, I guess a metaphor with the ogres, uh, our donations um, and such are treating the symptom of the problem, but the real problem are the economic disparities. Um, And we talked a lot about the charitable work that we do externally, 
Um, and I'm really, that's great. I really love that about our organization that we do those things. Um, my question is more focused on what we're doing internally uh, with the associates that we have that are um, experiencing food insecurity and what are we doing to uh, put them in a position where uh, they're in a better place so they don't experience that. Yeah, I think that's where the We Care um, program comes in. Um, we see applications all the time and we help out associates and hopefully moving those drivers. But I, I think there's a lot of uh, scope for, for that too. I think we have to be careful that we're not doing, um, you know, what Walmart did, which is having a food drive for their own employees. <laughs> um, but um, I, I, I think there's a lot of scope for making sure that our own associates have um, the uh, ability to, um, to, to feed their families as well. And, um, and I think maybe, maybe that's why I love our We Care program as much as I do, <laughs> because it does allow for that. I, I do serve on the committee in my division on the We Care oh, Foundation. And I think it's beautiful. Uh, we just approved someone for $5,000 today. And it was, <sighs> I don't want to say well-deserved, but they needed the support. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm all for why not? Why Why do we have employees that struggle? If we can help them, um, we should, of course. Yes, here. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Is there is there some sort of a website or local? Because we'll, we'll post it on our SharePoint, you know. Can can we put like a link to the We Care uh, hub? Please, or, please, or, please do, yeah. We, we talk about the, the need for food and, you know, just looking up stats online, it seems to be pretty apparent that there is a, a pretty wide gap between African-American or, or Blacks and Hispanics and, and the white population. Have you, do you notice that with applications and the areas that we're serving and, and uh, you know, the, the uh, organizations that we're helping? I do notice that. And... Um... I think there's some work to do um, in ensuring equitable access to these programs. Um, we actually had a $9 million uh, grant process last year um, where we gave $9 million to, I'd have to look it up, but dozens of organizations across the country, um, specifically trying to increase access and addressing issues specific to the um, BIPOC community, um, Black, Indigenous, and people of color community. And some of those programs are, um, a, a lot of those programs are um, specifically to have more leadership um, from voices of lived experience. That's a, a really big thing, I think, in trying to make sure that um, access is equitable. No, um, a friend of mine always says, you know, no, no human um, issue has ever been solved by one group on behalf of another. We have to have the voices of lived experience. We have to have the people who have been hungry. We have to have the people who have had trouble accessing food. We have to have people who are experiencing these drivers helping to come up with the solutions. And unfortunately, you're right, it does index much higher 
in a minority population and in the, well, specifically in the BIPOC population. And so we are looking at that very um, carefully and considering what we can do. And the 9 million was a good start. And I'm, um, we're actually starting to get the reports back from those organizations who have done that. And we're even, even unsolicited reports. I got one about a month ago from one organization that had used the funds to build a, um, build up their, um, their board and in, in specifically outreach and increase the number and the diversity of their board and the number of people with voices of lived experience on their board. And um, and they wrote back and they said, wow, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> we didn't know <laughs> that we were, we were signing up for so much. <laughs> we had no idea that um, the way that we've been going about things for the last 20 years is not necessarily the best for the community that we're trying to serve. And it's, the, I mean, the woman, she was very honest and she said, it's, it sucked. <laughs> it's been really bad. It's been, everything has been challenged and it's been pain. She says, but now I recognize those pains as growing pains. And I loved that. That was just such a great message to receive because I, I truly believe that we, we have to, we have to have, um, people leading this who have that lived experience and who have the ability to to help solve the issue in ways that that make sense to that area yeah so what are those elders oh yeah sorry no, i was gonna say it reminds me of the story where you know i'm walking along and elmer's fallen in a hole and he turns around and says boy i'm stuck down here is there anything you could do can you help me and so I jump in there with him and he's like, what are you doing now? You're down here with me. And I said, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know how to get out. Mm. It's, 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 a, it's, an interesting, um, it's an interesting way of looking at it. And I agree with you 100%. I think that if you've lived it, um, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when I did work in the divisions, we always found that what would be considered maybe a lower income area would always donate more. Um, when it came to campaigns. And I think it's because they have the empathy. They've been there, they've seen it, they've been through it, and now they're out of it and they're helping the people that are going through it today. That's how it always felt to me. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's a big driver of that. We do see um, uh, lower income areas and um, you know customers who probably are lower income donating more. I think that's a large part of it. I also think that our system of donating is um, accessible to more people. Um, you know, don't, asking for a dollar at a time, if you know, you'd be feel kind of weird giving a dollar to your local local charity um, because it can be kind of weird, right? <laughs> but when you give it to to um, at the pin pad, we are we are a great aggregator, right? We're adding up those dollars and we're we're putting it together. And you know, last um, um, last May we raised over nine million dollars, you know, and that and that has some pretty serious power behind it, right? We can work with these organizations and we have then the ability to to um to influence how these organizations are working. And that's a huge and awesome responsibility <laughs> to be sure um, that we do not take lightly at all. Um, and we think about those dollars, each of those dollars is a hard-earned dollar um, that we are then aggregating and we are making sure are being used as as wisely as humanly possible. It's a it's 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 a labor of love. Yeah. Awesome. Go ahead, E.T. 
Yeah, I was just going to ask um, what that ogre is, right? Since you, you gave that story, what's that ogre that's keeping those communities down? Um, I, I think we all have an idea of what those are, but obviously if, if the private sector is attacking the problem, uh, you guys are just pulling babies out of the water. Um, what are we doing to, to help the, the pro that kill that process of re repeating yeah. the cycle? Yeah, and, and the ogre isn't acting, you know, the ogre might be those five drivers of hunger, right? Um, or at food insecurity, but the ogre isn't acting in a vacuum either. The ogre comes from the village and the village has things that are a little bit needing to be changed, like systemic racism and other things, quite frankly, that are driving the inequity within those those um those drivers of hunger um that are making it you know it's it's it you have to you have to kind of look at it holistically and you have to think about what some of those what are the root causes of the root causes right <laughs> um how yeah how, how how do you continue to to ladder that up yeah we're trying to figure that out so that's definitely a problem um remark go ahead so you talked about how you traveled all over the world seeing hunger and seeing all this stuff over the world. What are the differences and the similarities that you've seen in maybe more developed countries versus less developed countries, the US versus, um, you talked about you've been to Bangladesh, Africa, places like that. What are the similarities? And I think where I'm going with this question is like, I feel like a lot of other countries are more communal than the US in some sense where they may see something happening and they will kind of get behind it a little bit easier than us in more developed countries. Have you seen anything like that? Um, yes and no. I, you know, when you first started the question, the thought that came to my head is how incredibly generous Americans are, actually. Um, Americans are really, really generous. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm married to a South African, actually, and he is constantly surprised at how, um, how generous uh, Americans are. Can I, can I answer that question with a quick story? Do we have time for a quick story? Sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to tell a quick story about my time in Bangladesh. Um, I love telling this story, um, although um, I, I don't want you to think worse of me from it. <laughs> um, so living in Bangladesh, um, it's one of the, if not, it sometimes is and sometimes like ekes up to number two in the poorest country in the world. Um, it, um, the, it's a beautiful, beautiful country with the most amazing people you'll ever meet. Uh, I'll never forget the um, the woman who lived in a stall with cows who who invited me over to dinner and and treated me to, to dinner when she had she lived with cows. I mean, she had very little. And that 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 um that is the spirit of the place. I've never met such wonderful, generous, and amazing people. And I've never seen so much poverty before in my life. Um, it's everywhere you look all day, every single day. You see it. I you know. You know, you walk down the street and you can't get two steps without somebody um, asking. There's a actually a very sad um, thing that was happening at the time that I was there. I don't know if it's still happening now, but um, they had um, they they had a huge commerce around 
um, babies born with disabilities. If you had a baby born with a disability, it was a huge boon because what you could do is rent your baby out to beggars who would use the baby to be able to beg and get more money. Um, so it was, it was considered a great thing to have a baby or a child with a disability um, because then um, you, could, you could get more. So it's just, it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere. So I had gone to the capital city, I don't, I don't remember why, and I was coming back on the train. Now it's about, I don't know, 100 miles. <laughs> it was a four and a half hour journey on this train. And um, I was sitting there and I had, it, it's, a, it's a Muslim country, so I was almost completely covered, but um, I look a little bit different. Those of you on the podcast, I have a very fair skin. <laughs> um, and um, I um, was sitting on the train and this little girl came up and she must have been, I don't know, four or five and she had this little hat and on the hat had a string and a cork on it. And she came in and she was swinging her head around and getting the string to go around her head. And um, she was begging uh, for, for money by doing that. And I, I'm embarrassed to say that I almost didn't even register that she was there. I had seen so much and it's just all the time, this persistent poverty. And so I just, I just kind of ignored her. And, um, and then she came over and she touched my hand and, um, I had, I, I had splurged and brought a second class ticket or something. So I actually had a seat and, um, the, there was a businessman, um, sitting, nobody would sit next to me because I was a woman, but there was a businessman sitting on the other side and he saw this happen. He was so incensed that this girl had come up and touched my hand that at the next station, he picked up the girl and put her outside the train. And as the train went away, I looked and I saw the little girl calmly opening up her packet and counting her, her, her money. And I thought, I didn't do anything to stop that. What kind of a person am I? This place, this place has really turned me into somebody that I don't want to be. I don't think I'm going to be able to finish my, I just, I had just a crisis of consciousness and couldn't, couldn't just couldn't deal with it anymore and I rode the rest of the way mostly in tears just so upset that I hadn't done anything and I get to my station and I get out and th there's a mob of people walking and you can tell there's something that everybody is going around and so when I get to that that place that everybody's going around I see there's a, a widow she's fairly young but you could tell she was widowed because she was dressed as a widow and she was, um, what happens in, in Bangladesh is if you get married and your husband dies, the family can kick you out and your old family doesn't have to take you back. So she didn't have, and she of course didn't go to school or anything. So she had no income, no no way of supporting herself except begging. And so everybody was just going around her. And I thought she could barely, barely move on the ground. So I walked over to the the um, fruit stand and I bought um, some bananas. Bananas there come in, in fours. So I bought a, a holly of bananas and I came over and I gave her the bananas, but she was too weak to even open the bananas. So I opened the banana and I actually hand fed her two of the bananas. Um, and then I started to get a little bit concerned. I'm not a, I'm not a doctor. I don't, but I don't know how long it's been since she's eaten. I don't know what food would do suddenly in her stomach and how much food her stomach could take. And I started to get worried about all that. So I went over to the station attendant and I said, Hey, um, at the next call to prayer, I have two more bananas. Um, can you please give them to this lady? And he just laughed at me. <laughs> so then I found a street sweeper there and a woman who was sweeping. And she said, oh, I'll do it. But I want one of the bananas. Said, All right, fine. You take one of the bananas, give the other banana at the next call to prayer. I don't know if she actually did, but I'm just going to assume that she did because I'm going to assume the best in the world. Anyway, so I left the station 
And I went home and I thought, what am I doing here? Like this, this place has turned me into somebody I don't even recognize. There's poverty everywhere. I cannot, what can I do? On the way home from the station to my, my house, um, I probably saw, I don't know, 30 or 40 people begging for funds who were, you know, just the, the distended bellies from the, from the kids who were malnourished. And I thought, ah, it, it's just, it's too overwhelming. What can, what can one person do? What can I do? There's nothing I can do. So I went home and I got out my, you know, dusted off my bags and I just started throwing stuff in it. And I thought, I'm out, I'm done. I swore that I would finish my service, but there's no point. I'm done. I started just throwing things, throwing things in my bag, zipping up. And then I heard singing and I'm like, oh, what now? What is happening? And the singing got louder and louder. And I happened to live with a family. And so I went over to the family. I said, what, what is happening outside? They said, we don't know. There's a bunch of people standing outside singing. I'm like, why are there a bunch of people? And you know, it, when you live in a country like Bangladesh, that you don't fully understand the culture because you didn't grow up in the culture, things like that happen all the time. You don't, you have no idea what's happening. It's always like, it's always a surprise. Like what's happening now? So I went outside and I said, um, why are you guys singing? And the guy said, oh, it's for you. And I said, why are you singing for me? I certainly don't deserve any singing. What are you doing? I said, oh, we heard about what you did at the train station. And we've decided that we're all going to come and we're going to help you. And I said, help me? Help me what? And they said, well, we, we saw we saw that we can we can help. We can help. You, you help that woman. We can help. We all want to help. So tell us what to do. And I thought... Oh boy, I'm not a leader. <laughs> I, I don't, how did this happen? And but they started, and I unpacked my bags. They started something called the. It sounds better in Bangla, I promise. Called the Banana Brigade <laughs> is the best English translation I can come up with. And um, and they started all working on and seeing the poverty and starting to um, to actually to actually help out. And um, and each person couldn't do anything on their own, but together. They could all do so much, and together they could they could solve it. So I've actually taken that back a little bit here, and in the job that I do now, when I we talked a little bit about that one dollar donation, right? Um, that's we're still doing the same thing. We're still aggregating that story. Nobody's singing for me anymore, um, but <laughs> you never know. <laughs> but um, but that you know that one dollar donation, one at a time. That that's a that's a similarity of how we can how we can help how we can help out there. That is an amazing story, Christy. I mean, golly. And and it kind of refers back to when Paul jumped in the hole with me, you know, mm-hmm. when when people people come together uh to help someone else, it's actually from the from their own community. So wow, that that's amazing. Anybody want to make any comments on on that? Um <laughs> No, I I was just gonna say that maybe ET can sing for you, Christy, but uh, I don't know if that's gonna happen. So, yeah, my, that was an amazing story, and thank that, you for sharing. You, you know, well, the thing, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, sorry, I was gonna say, Christy, the thing I took from that, right, and and it's quite fascinating. You know, they came, and it was almost like, okay, we've seen somebody that knows how to do this. Now maybe they can show us how to do it. So how do you think there's a lot of people out there waiting for that? Like they just don't know how to how to start this. But if you can get one person to show you a simple, seriously, how easy? I mean, it sounds silly, and it's not to put this down, but how easy is it to give somebody a banana, right? And so 
I'm just wondering how much is out there in communities that we don't even know about where they're like, God, I wish I could do something about this, but they're not, they don't know how to take even that first step of just unpeeling a banana. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I I actually remember a, a poster that I saw when I was a kid. It was at school or church or somewhere. And on one side, it, it's kind of the same idea. It had it had a person in it. It had a little thought bubble and it said, what can one person do? And then it had a whole bunch of people and it kind of zoomed out to a crowd of people. And each of them had a thought bubble that said, what can, what can one person do? And then what can we all do together? So I absolutely think that that's... Um, that that is the case. I think that I think a lot of people want to help. I think a lot of people aren't don't know how to help. Um, I think it's evident in those. You know, we talked about the slight inefficiency, and I'm not saying that we should never do food drives. <laughs> um, I just want to clear that up. But um, the 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 slight inefficiency of the food drive. Um, is something that people can do. That's why they're so successful, because it feels like you can do that. What we have to do is help people understand that putting a can in a bin isn't solving hunger, right? It's not solving. It's not. It's it's helping, but it's not solving hunger. So how do we? And I think a lot about this, you guys. How do we? And 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 I think about this in the context of the millions of people who come through our register every day, right? How do we convince them that they can each take small steps to help their neighborhoods? Um, be, be better, you know, how, how can we, nur- the nourishing neighborhoods, how can we nourish their neighbor, how can we help them find ways to nourish neighbors that are really helpful in those areas? And and there's a lot more to come on that because we've been thinking about that a lot lately. That's perfect, because I was going to ask that question, what can we do? Um, what can we do, number one, from an Albers- Albertson's perspective, is are there specific groups or programs that we can uh, get in contact with locally right because you figure this podcast is going out nationally right um so that means from from washington state all the way to to lancaster uh we we have people listening so each community is going to be different and our our opportunity to serve is going to be a little different is there some sort of uh community resource uh place that we can reach out to and and if there is you know, within within each division, uh, how how do we do that? And if we don't have that, then maybe that's something we could think about, like a networking um, type. Can I can I can I leave this as a bit of a teaser? Coming soon. Yes. <laughs> Coming very soon. We um, plan to have a portal. Um, that people can go to customers and associates that will have all the ways that you can help end hunger in your community. It'll have volunteering opportunities. It'll have the opportunity to write letters to senators. It'll have opportunities to um, to give to local organizations. It'll have it'll have all kinds of of opportunities on how you can how you can do it. But but it's a bit of a teaser. It's still under wraps now, <laughs> um, but it's it's coming soon. But we're going to be the first to post it on our SharePoint. So okay. Okay. Come that's a deal. <laughs> come to us. Yeah. So all you guys listening, everybody, we'll have it first. So we we're, there's obviously going to be people out there as well that say, you know what, if I donate a dollar, it's not going to do anything. It's not it's not going to change um the any it's not going to make any big change. So what I mean, you've already kind of gone through the whole yes, but if one person gives a dollar, okay, that's a dollar. But if a million people give a dollar, that that's a million dollars. So, you know, and especially when it comes to things like, well, the company takes the money. How much money does this company take from it? And that kind of thing. So do you want to just explain how all that works? Yeah. 
A dollar is a dollar given. So the foundation um, runs a very tight ship <laughs> and with minimal overhead that is supported through other areas. So if a dollar is given at the register, a dollar is given to the, the organization. It goes towards that cause, whatever cause that is. So if you give a dollar to nourishing neighbors, a dollar goes to nourishing neighbors. If you if we're raising money, say for, I don't know, Special Olympics in your division and you give a dollar to um, at the register, a dollar goes to Special Olympics. We do not keep um, any um, any funds and the company certainly doesn't keep any funds at all um, uh, for for the for the work that we do. Is there, sorry, is there um, some sort of a site that we can link to to, to kind of share uh, all of your, as, as what we do as a company, um, all of our victories, all the things that we're supporting? Yeah, um, it's it's a cool site because it, uh, and I just put it in the chat, it, um, this one happens to go directly to the stories of impact. But what's cool about this site, our foundation site, is when you open it, a pop-up comes up and tells and asks you exactly where you are. Um, and you can always say, no, I want to go to the national site. But if you if you um, select your closest store, it'll actually give you stories and local um, information about how uh, funds are being used in, in your area. And that will be up in our SharePoint momentarily. So anybody that uh, listened to the podcast i'm sure it's going to be there when you start listening but i i can't thank you enough christy uh for joining us today um paul thanks for the connection i, I know you guys have worked closely in the past but um I, I appreciate all the insight you gave us all the stories you gave us um i'm just it makes me more proud to know that we are actually doing a lot of things nationally behind the scenes and how much we're actually caring for uh, our fellow human beings. Uh, it's just, just awesome to hear. Definitely. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. Uh, we're, we're more honored to have you. Uh, no, sure. I'm more honored. <laughs> Thank you everyone for uh, participating in, in our conversation today. Thank you again, Christy, for uh, everything that you brought to the table. Um, I'm sure this will be a very popular podcast and, and we hope to do it again because we didn't even touch on uh, a lot of the topics that we, we had questions about. I know a lot of a lot of our team held back questions. So um, we, we look forward to bringing you back. If anybody has any questions or comments, please reach us at triple ALC. That is AAALC at Albertsons.com and we'll be there to answer any of those questions. Check us out on the diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, page, uh, intranet page. And we are under AALC, AALC um, SharePoint, and lot, all the information that you heard today will be posted up there. Um, again, thank you, Christy. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Remar. Thank you, Alyssa. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you, Sharon, for joining. And we will see you next time.